Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. For more than 20 years, Philip Cupins has worked as a professional athlete, health advocate, and businessman. Today, he is vice president of the Pickle Juice Company, a world leader and manufacturer of the only sports beverage proven to combat muscle cramps at the neurological source. He brings his deep experience in the athletic industry to his position as the company's number one brand ambassador. He is an expert at preventative care, recovery tools, and how to optimize performance. But mostly, he is an expert on the sports beverage market, how it works, the strategies that make an impact, and what drives sales. And clearly, it's working. Since 2001, the Pickle Juice Company's formula has transformed the way muscle cramping is treated by creating the first 100% natural sports beverage. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite, Philip. Hi, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I know. Who thought pickle juice, right? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a, a funny story. The origin of the product dates back to the hottest football game in the history of the NFL. It was played between the Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles. The Cowboys were favored to win. They didn't. And uh, after the game, the athletic trainers for the Philadelphia Eagles were asked why their athletes were not suffering from cramps and the, the Cowboys were. They said they were drinking pickle brine, the stuff right out of the jar. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. It was kind of funny. So being Texas and being uh very dedicated to football. We wanted to figure out why that was working and did some very rudimentary sort of testing to determine that it was actually the vinegar and not the salt that we previously perceived to be the key trigger. So once we determined that it was the uh, vinegar rather than the salt, we did some experimentation and some refining, and which led us to a study performed in 2010 by Dr. Kevin Miller at uh, Brigham Young University who determined that muscle cramps were actually a neurological phenomenon rather than a physiological phenomenon. So we then really got to dive in to figure out exactly how we were blocking those nerve receptors and yeah, we've got the product to where it is now and it's working pretty well. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the science behind it is incredible, but more importantly, talk about carving a niche. Uh, it is something very, very unique. Um, and today we're going to explore uh, product uniqueness and how really micro specialization can lead to big, big business gains. Before you, you've given us some great information about the, the company, tell us a little bit more um, about your background. Sure. My background is uh, I grew up in uh, Europe. I'm from Belgium originally. Wow. We moved to the States, uh, grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, then uh, went to college, uh, undergrad and graduate school in Rochester, New York at the Rochester Institute of Technology, where I studied hospitality management. And that kind of got me into food science a little bit. Then I went and worked for H.J. Hines and then Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox. So mostly large CPG um, sales and marketing roles. And now I kind of shifted to evolving and developing companies. And I've been in this role for about five years and absolutely loving it. And um, well, that's yeah. great. You know, product differentiation is something that we love as an agency. I don't believe that enough brands spend enough time really, really honing in on product differences. And certainly there are many different ways 
um, that, that companies can take a look at that. Um, all things being equal, uh, certainly branding and marketing um, can take the charge and differentiation. But I think that our consumer today is so savvy and they really want to understand the in-depth nature of what a product can do to make their life better. And that is where I think a lot of brands need to spend more time is really honing in on the benefits, the differentiation that ultimately give a buyer a reason to consider. Share with us, if you would, uh, your mindset, your philosophy around product differentiation. Yeah, to, to paraphrase the co-founder of Intuit, who said that our brands are no longer what we tell people we are. Our brands are what people tell each other they are. Wow. So we, and that's a very powerful thing to say, right? Because those of us who've been in business for a while are so used to controlling that narrative. But getting comfortable with releasing that narrative to really let your product uh, speak for itself. We now have an obligation to be what we claim to be. And it, and it sounds a bit ridiculous to say that, but it, it, it's true. We, we can't just tell people we're this and claim to be something else. Not, not that we would, but uh, transparency is key. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, I think yeah, if, if we uh, visualize right now the sales funnel or marketing funnel, uh, of course, we start with awareness, move to consideration, acquisition, which is the bottom of the funnel in most scenarios. Avocet's funnel actually ends with our, our underneath acquisition, there's referral and then loyalty. And it ties into exactly what you're talking about there, that referral and loyalty um, is very, very important. Absolutely. Now today we're really we're going to hone into um, some of the key attributes that you built for Pickle Power, and one of the key elements um, that really helped you differentiate the product uh, in the marketplace and um, in a very 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 believable way, and ultimately the impact um, that is is making uh, on in in people's lives from a positioning standpoint. How did you develop a, a position for Pickle Power um, that really dispelled the myths that are out there and went a long way ultimately to convince people that it was reliable and it worked uh, at the same time? Sure. So we, ha we have a go-to-market strategy that we call product discovery. And that's essentially based on trying to find a target consumer at the point during which he or she needs our product the most. So what we've done is we've partnered with about 500 nonprofit charity events annually and mostly endurance cycling and running type events where we donate the product to the aid stations and the consumer simply uses it. And then we encourage them to share that experience via social media. So it's, it's very grassroots in nature. So our, our company functions a bit like a hybrid between an experiential company and a traditional CPG company, whereas our, our, our brand messaging occurs at the experiential level, much like, say, a, a Red Bull or Body Armor or companies like that. And our distribution model mirrors more of the traditional CPG model where we focus on break and mortar distribution through grocery mass, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this immersive uh, strategy, if you will, that really helps uh, someone interact uh, with the brand at that moment in time where they can utilize it the best 
ultimately, I, I'm sure has led to, uh, you know, at the bottom of the funnel, uh, a lot of, you know, referral and loyalty. How are you measuring the gain ultimately with this uh, approach? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because it's kind of a, a hybrid between conf- we have to create that brand demand and then convert that to, to the transactional level, which is, is a unique experience. So typically what we do is we create the distribution infrastructure before targeting the experiential piece within a marketplace. So what we'll do is focus on having uh, access to that product and then create a demand uh, specifically within that uh, target market sector. Measuring it is more art than science, I'll admit. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we look at things like uh, impressions. We try to quantify the value of the impression because we know we view ourselves like a sports organization at the experiential level. So we know that on an average 0.013% of all social media posts will drive an engagement. We know about 3% of all engagements convert to a purchase. So we can sort of get a, a, a 30,000 foot level uh, value per social media engagement that's uh, uh, user generated content. But really we're just looking at uh, global uh, yeah. sales growth based on how active we are in certain market areas. Well, and certainly as long as the numbers are, are moving up um, and in the right direction, that's uh, in a lot of situations all that you need to really be concerned about. Now, proof of concept, there's a lot of competition out there, um, which is mm-hmm. why a differentiation is key in, in that market position that you've just shared with us. Um, certainly that happens through proof of concept rather and a lot of the experiential arenas that you are dis- you know, that you're distributing the product through. But there's also the elite team side of, of your business um, that you push the product through. Talk to us more about that. Right. So, you know, we talked earlier about living in a transparent culture, and I think that expands beyond the product itself. It also expands to the mission of the company and the vision of the company where you not only have to be, you have to be socially responsible as well as have a great product because people frankly care. And, and we we should anyway, for the, just for the sake of doing it. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so we work with about 230 elite level brand ambassadors in the, in North America. They range from people who compete in martial arts to rugby players to endurance athletes, ultra runners, cyclists. Uh, we also are title sponsors of a professional women's uh, track cycling team. One of our core tenants is to help bridge the gender pay gap in sports, and we're pretty uh, unapologetic about that. We we feel that elite female athletes are massively undercompensated and underrepresented in the professional sports arena. So we disproportionately support those causes relative to the others. And we we've been extremely proud of our professional a women's cycling team, which is led by Colleen Gullick, who has multiple national champion uh, championships. Uh, we also have Elijah Beatty, who recently won a silver medal at the national championships and unfortunately is recovering from a collarbone injury. Oh, no. But we hope she's okay for the Olympics next summer. And uh, Maggie Coles-Leister, who will be competing against in the Olympics next summer because she'll be representing Canada. She most recently won a silver medal uh, down in the Pan Am Games. So 
we are extremely proud of of everything they're doing and we also have other partnerships with with different sports teams around the country um the dallas rugby football club is competing for a national championship this weekend in kansas city so we're really excited to be part of them so the range of support uh is pretty broad it really is and and this product endorsement if you will i think goes a long way to from a consumer standpoint really uh, opening up people's minds and, and eyes regarding the strength behind the product. I mean, they're going to say to themselves, well, if so-and-so is utilizing this and it's really affecting positive change for them, it can work for me too. Exactly. Yeah, it certainly is a top-down credibility play, really top-down and bottom-up. That's why we do the charity event stuff. That's where you get right. the quote-unquote weekend warrior, your consumer. Uh, but that credibility play is really reinforced by the the hyper-elite athletes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, product uh, discovery is obviously something uh, that is very, very important to micro specialization as well. And you're really building um, some incredible blocks here ultimately to push out incredible marketing campaigns. How did you tackle that? Uh, f- frankly, it, it, it's, it, I know I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but it was a lot of trial and error. Um, that's, I mean, that's authentic. <laughs> I mean, it's important. I mean, that's what we all live as marketers and, and you know, product developers each and every day. Right. I mean, it, it's, it really was a throwing some darts at a dartboard, sort of going by our gut. Uh, fortunately, a lot of the folks here that I have the pleasure of working with come from similar backgrounds, come from uh, sports and athletic backgrounds. So we, we kind of looked at it from a first-person perspective, right? How are we influenced? Uh, how, how are we motivated to try a new product? And nutrition in the uh, sports arena is a fairly new concept. If you go back, you know, even even a decade, the concept of nutrition really didn't go much further by carb load the day before your whatever you were doing, protein the day of, and make sure you don't get dehydrated. And the level of sophistication in the nutrition space for athletes has evolved massively over the past decade. So I was really looking at how were we influenced and 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 what what was important to us. And we found that the elite level peer influence was really important to us. You know, what is everybody else doing? The reason that we're focused on endurance sports is it's not an accident. It's completely by design. It's because most of those individual endurance athletes create a one-to-one consumer ratio rather than affiliating with large teams where you have a one-to-whatever-the-roster-consists-of ratio because you usually have the nutritionist or the coach purchasing for those athletes. So they're not doing their own research. They're not doing their own conversations. Plus, the individual endurance athlete tends to be very active on social media, uh, tends to be more affluent, and they're spending a lot of time on social media because that's where they get their information and research. So that targeting is is certainly by design. Yeah, and it's a very, very important piece of, of anyone's marketing program today. It's not the amount of, um, it's not whether or not social advertising or social media um, content-driven strategy should be a part of the overall integrated mix. It's really how much. And, and we're seeing huge, huge strides in that becoming overwhelmingly the biggest percentage um, of a lot of these, you know, organic growth companies that we work with. Absolutely. I mean, the the ROI is very favorable. It's also very targeted. You get immediate returns and immediate engagements. And we also find that companies that are kind of in the, the early adopter, like crawling up that, that, that bell curve of, of growth, 
you're getting very passionate consumers that are very willing to deliver that message. So if you engage with them at the point where they're engaging with your company, it's so much easier to get them to repeat that message on your behalf. And as you know, many studies have shown that user-generated content relative to a, a brand is so much more powerful than uh, brand-generated content because right. there's that level of authenticity and, and trust that, uh, that is driven by a consumer. Right. You know, I'm interested in going back here just for a second. Um, you know, at the onset of the discussion, we talked a lot about the experiential side, and ultimately that's a piece of, of the puzzle, if you will, that has really helped you you grow the business. And you, you know, you've mentioned that there are hundreds of events um, that you partake in. You know, if I'm thinking about hundreds of events, uh, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, how are we going to have the manpower to really, really push this out and do it um, in a strong, you know, alliance way so that we're able to really impact each and every person that interacts with the brand. What have you done there um, to make sure that the experience you're delivering is something um, that you want to hang your hat on? Yeah, it turns out we've become a staffing agency as well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Actually, what we do is we we develop what we call full circle partnerships with these organizations that we partner with. So a lot of these events are not cheap to put on. Uh, they're all, thus they are not cheap to participate in. So ordinarily when we negotiate with an event, we like anything, the product we donate has a value assigned to it. And part of the collateral that we request in addition to visibility and having the product available on course, typically involves a, uh, some compensated entry fees for our brand ambassadors. So what we're doing is we are creating an experience for our brand ambassador who will then attend that event, but will attend it on our behalf and will also function as staff for us when they're not in participating in the activity itself. So it it really creates sort of a a three-tier relationship between the company, the event, and the representative of the company who is a brand ambassador participating in that event on behalf of the company. Right. Now, so you're you're building audiences through the experiential side of things through product endorsements, but ultimately they've got to you know go buy the product. Right. Um, and certainly a lot of CPG brands start with online uh, ordering and sales, but the goal and the vision and really the heart of every CEO that has ever started a CPG brand is to see that product on shelves. You've tested several different approaches there. How did you ultimately narrow it down um, and really choose a channel uh, that was going to be successful for the brand? Yeah, so first we had to identify who our consumer was, right? So we, we thought, we knew it was, an, it, we knew it was the athlete. Athletes are, are very difficult to sell to because they, sell, they buy everywhere, right? Because they're not an athlete 24-7. They're also not an elite athlete 24-7. They are also a mom at times. They are also a college student at times. So targeting that athlete is is really challenging. So we had to go to where the general demographic was. We also knew very, very simply, we knew we had to have an online presence because if for no other reason, that would bridge our brick and mortar gaps while we were building our brick and mortar presence. And then we we frankly just said, okay, where does everybody shop, right? Because our our demo resides within the everyone's space. And we also, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? It I does. mean, 
Um, so again, it was it was sort of simplifying the model and, and not over overthinking it. What we did then was said, okay, well, because a lot of us had history in, in the grocery space, we said, let's start with grocery. It's easy. We understand it. Or not, not easy in the in the sense of getting on the shelves, but the you it's know it logical, yeah, yeah. Uh, so work with what you know. Um, we started in grocery, got into some specialty, but we went anywhere where our distribution model functioned and worked. So that's why there are certain specialty sectors where you think we'd be a great fit, but we don't do a whole lot of direct distribution to retail. We kind of rely on the distributors distributor broker model to keep us lean and fast. So we are now up to about 10,000 brick and mortar uh, doors in the United States. We've opened divisions in uh, Australia, South Africa, just opened Canada. We're opening Central America. So we're really pleased with the go-to-market acceptance that we've received. And yeah, it's kind of a hybrid between um, brick and mortar.com, thirdparty.com, specialty.com. And we really do our best to work from the shelf backwards. So we have parity in the marketplace that protects all of our distribution channels. That's great. You know, I'm, I just take us back to that moment in time where, I mean, 10,000 doors, that's a, that's a, a good number. Uh, take us back to that moment in time where, where you began to have discussions about the international market. Frankly, a lot of it came to us. Uh, and it came to us because of our our experiential network, right? So rugby was a sport that we got involved with uh, really early um, and sort of fell into because a lot of us here at the company are directly involved in rugby or were involved in rugby. And uh, we started getting rugby teams, rugby players involved. It's an emerging sport here in the United States, but a national sport in New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, parts of Europe, parts of South America. So that's why it's no coincidence that our first international office was in Melbourne, Australia. And that was because a lot of these players competing at the elite level in the United States hail from these other countries. So they take this great product back and then to their teams overseas. And then those teams contact us and we say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll send you a bunch of product. And they're going, yeah, it's like $250 in shipping. Can you just get us some distribution? <laughs> said, sure. So it's kind of, again, um, complete, being completely transparent, a, a, lot, a lot more luck than strategy at times. But again, that's, that's all part of our broader product discovery strategy and knowing that you have to sort of be willing to release uh, your narrative and your direction to some degree and be willing to be flexible with where the demand is created by having that organic growth piece. Well, I would tell you luck only happens with a great product. Uh, so strategy sometimes does uh, come in toward the end there. So way to go with that, Philip Cupins. I tell you, we could talk for hours today. Thank you so much for sharing your insight on really product uniqueness and how micro specialization can really lead to big business gains. It's certainly done for you. Hats off to to you and the the Pickle Power team uh, for making the great strides that you had over the last uh, several months. And thank you for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.